the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go. Mental health is my wealth. The stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. Hello and welcome back to the Big Silence podcast. Karina here, coming from set in Los Angeles, Brentwood, California. I am taking a break while filming for the new Tone It Up challenge that is starting in January. Refresh and reset. You're going to love this. Uh, Lots of surprises and um, also kind of announcing some new things coming to Tone It Up my new role there and all of that. So make sure, number one, you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss a beat. Number two, make sure you sign up for our newsletter at The Big Silence and at Tone It Up so you can stay informed. There's also an AMA coming out with Bobby that you will not want to miss. Today's podcast, I have the founders of Better You, Derek Duchesne, and Dr. Sam Zand. So this is an interesting conversation, one that I've been wanting to have for quite some time because I have so many questions around, you know, these new therapies, specifically with Better You, it's at-home ketamine therapy. And so I had a lot of questions and I wanted to have Derek and Dr. Sam on the pod to answer all of this and give more insight on these types of therapies You know, I'm open to any conversation. I I have never done this type of treatment, open to anything, and everyone can do what, you know, ever they want. But I really just wanted to educate myself on this because I have had some friends that have done this. It's worked. It hasn't worked to each their own. But I, I really did enjoy this conversation. They were really lovely to meet. Here it is, the founders of Better You. All right. Dr. Zand and Derek, welcome to the Big Silence podcast. How are you all today? Amazing. Thank you for having us, Karina. Of course. I was just saying I was really excited for this conversation because I have so many questions personally about the work that you do with Better You and, you know, ketamine and therapy. And as I'm, you know, going, I, we'll, we'll get into this. I want that, so many questions and some of them 
you know, I have, I have several friends who have done ketamine therapy. And me coming from a background where I used ketamine as a party drug back in the day, uh, I just, I, I guess for me personally, I, I, I'm wanting more understanding of it. But so you both co-founded Better You, which can you explain what that is? Absolutely. Better You is a alternative mental health uh, platform. And we started with uh, online at-home ketamine therapy. We're in the process of expanding into med management because a lot of people that come to us want to get off of their antidepressants or amphetamines or benzos. And we can't give them that program really until if, unless our prescribers are the one prescribing it. Uh, we're also expanding heavily into talk therapy, regenerative medicine, sexual health, uh, all, all the fun things to make it more of a holistic approach because even though ketamine and psychedelic therapy, uh, looking to the future, and you have MDMA right around the corner, psilocybin, ibogaine, all these other modalities, but you know these aren't right for everyone. And even with the psychedelics being as effective as, as they are, as they can be, really uh, allowing patients to have that support and that kind of options, all the different system or all the different products and, and options and therapies that they can they can have to kind of work in combination with each other. So we've got a uh, new center opening up in Los Angeles. We work at a, uh, Dr. Zan's practice in Nevada, but we're in telemedicine in 14 states and heavily focusing on holistic alternative care. So let's go back, Derek, because in 2019, you did your first, you're suffering from depression and you did ketamine treatment. Walk me through that and how you came to that. Because I feel like it was before people were really talking about this. Yeah. And it was before I spent years in the alternative healthcare space and had no idea this was an option. I have always looked at the brighter side of life and, and always had a zest for, for, for life and excited to start the day. Fortunately, never really struggled with depression or definitely not suicide up until, uh, up until 2019. And when I did, I, at the time, was also prescribed uh, antidepressants and those weren't working, was on Adderall, um, wasn't really on the pharmaceutical train up until that year either. And uh, I was going through, like my, my company, the previous venture was doing incredibly well. And we had spent 300 days that year on the road in about 40 countries. The industry that I was in kind of blew up. and. I was what I thought in this uh, really amazing relationship that was going to be my forever relationship. And I was kind of living in this really good groove at the time. And within a very short period, I uh, had our, this is right before you know 2020, but our business partnership and, and venture had some significant issues. My relationship had also taken a 180 and due to primarily to me to me working too much and then i didn't realize it but my identity and my happiness like my core was based on this uh, external things external validation with my work and with with my business and my relationship and those things and it's probably been like that my entire life is this external kind of validation that uh, kept me kept me stable or happy and when those things took a 180, I very quickly, you know, went through this depression and this like kind of shaky ground that I was on. And 
every day, just the thoughts were getting you know darker and, and worse. And once you kind of go down these rabbit holes, our brains are very interesting machines. And yeah, and when you keep you know waking up and going to sleep, telling yourself all these terrible things and or or trying to justify these things externally happening and blaming yourself for them. And when in reality that, you know, that's not the truth, but telling yourself that you're not worthy of first love and not worthy of X, Y, and Z. And then it gets to a point where you know, you're not worthy of life and it shouldn't be here. Or the, the answer is to, to, to stop feeling this way is to, to end it or the world might be a better place without you. Right. And that experience, uh, when I was going through to see my doctor and then I was working out and eating healthy and, and going through doing all the things that um, I thought were you know, at my disposal to help me and things kept getting worse and worse. And a friend dragged me into this, this ketamine clinic in, in Los Angeles. And at the time, you know, I knew of ketamine as, as a horse tranquilizer, right? I, I was like, this is, this is stupid. It's not going to work. It's not going to work for me tried everything. And then I got to a point where it was just like, what do, what do I have to lose? You know, it was a night where I thought I was watching my, my last sunset and uh, my friend came over and he's like, I'm, I'm going to take you somewhere and, and like, it's going to help. It's going to help. So he dragged me over there and it was $1,500 for one session then, which was even, even though there was nothing much else to lose or, you know, to, uh, to try, I was still reluctant and that on top of it. Uh, and that one session was, it, I could write a, a novel on, on that experience. It, it, it took me from this unrecognizable shell of, of a human being and just in this very like blame me victim mentality, the whole world's you know, against me. I shouldn't be here. Why me? Why me? Like there's this, yeah, this person that I'd never known or recognized. And it immediately just snap me out of those those thoughts and those those feelings, right? It was like boop, and and immediately it pulled me into this other space where I could look down and and reflect on a like it created that separation from my thoughts and and this constant cycle that I was in, and it created that space to look at all of these. You know, at the time, very tragic and hard, transitional, you know, dark things. It allowed me to look at those things as exactly that, right? These were just things that happened in my life. And these were just thoughts that were in my head. None of these thoughts or things are who I am or define me as a person. And it allowed me to, like, I hadn't felt connection to myself for, for quite some time. Um, and, and connection, like when you lose that connection to yourself, you don't feel connection to the outside world. Like when you're really depressed, it's like, you're almost like you're speaking a foreign language, right? Like you feel like nobody can understand you or you can't understand them. And so it immediately kind of refilled, refilled my cup. And it was, yeah, it was, it was absolutely incredible. And obviously like afterwards, there's still a lot, you know, underlying issues and a lot of things that I had to, to work through and process and, and work on, but it, it got me to, a point where like I was 90% back. Right. And, and, but the problem was that there was no plan afterwards. There was no preparation going into it. Like did the medicine worked, right. But I didn't look at it as how do I use this to help other people really until the pandemic started and, and saw all the ways that this could have been done better. Well, number one, 
I want to talk about entrepreneurship and what you went through because as myself being an entrepreneur as well, it's, you know, you, you put so much of, and you mentioned your identity being in that. And so then uh, with your business, perhaps not going the way that you thought it would in your relationship and then being left with, well, is it, well, who am I? What, what am I doing? Like, what is my purpose? And so being left when you put all of your your heart and your soul into that and then left at this shell of, well, who am I actually? So through the ketamine treatments, were you able to really be like, this is like to find purpose? Absolutely. When you lose your sense of self or your sense of uh, identity because it's based on all the time and energy that you put into X, Y, and Z project as, as most entrepreneurs uh, do. It, and then that lands on, on a shifty place or, or, or doesn't end well, it, we can feel like we lose a piece of ourselves, right? Or we lose our drive or our, or our motivation to, to get up and, and you know, fight another day. And it allowed me to, and it allows a lot of the patients that we work with to quiet all of that kind of programming that we implement into ourselves and quiet that noise and chatter and really align with, uh, you know, not so much of the, the, the work or the sacrifice or the time loss that we put into it or all the things we didn't do because we were pouring our energy into this business venture, right? Allowed us to stop holding on to that stuff and, and really recalibrate to a point where we feel like let's, when you change your perspective on it, right? You change your perspective instead of here's everything that I lost. It allowed me to look at it like here's all the things that I gained that I can take into the next, the next thing. Right. And I think that that fills your cup and, and, and does help you find that, that purpose and that alignment uh, specific, particularly when you're, you feel like you've lost a piece of yourself because you put so much into that. Yeah. So where does Dr. Zand come in here? Was he part of your initial experience with ketamine or how did you all meet? So that was, uh, it was not a part of the initial experience. It was uh, in 2021 uh, when, when we connected, I started, uh, I didn't look at this as a, a an opportunity to help others or or as a business. And I was pretty reluctant to share my experience with other people because I saw it as a weakness at the time. And uh, when the pandemic started, met somebody who's the head of epidemiology at Stanford, supposed to be up there for a weekend, ended up spending about eight weeks with the, at the Psychedelic Research Institute and depression clinic and meeting all kinds of amazing people that were doing all kinds of work with different psychedelics. And through that journey, started developing the, the, the systems and protocols and looking at other psychedelics to bring to market. And through that journey, had uh, connected with a friend who connected me with Dr. Zand and then learning about his what he was doing you know, as a psychiatrist and helping people get off medications and looking at that holistic approach with people. And so I came out to, to meet with him in Nevada. And then we uh, really started started putting our heads together. How do we help more people at scale? And he was already an expert with Spravato and with ketamine therapy and, and treating patients holistically. And it seemed like a really, really good fit. All right, Dr. Zan, what is your background and how did you get into this type of therapy? I'm a psychiatrist. I practice clinically still. I teach. I'm a professor now of psychedelic medicine and holistic psychiatry. 
prior to practicing, I started my education at Johns Hopkins studying public health. And so for me, it was really about how do we scale out these systems? My mom was a psychologist. My dad was an engineer. So the path for me was kind of engineering the mind and learning not only on an individual level, but on a scalable level. How do we impact greater good here? And the thing that I think really shifted my career is that in residency, when I was excited to finally start healing, start seeing patients, start helping people feel better, that's not what the system was built for, unfortunately. And I know that in your own history and learning a little bit about you, um, you've been close to the psychiatry industry through things you've shared about your family. And you've probably had some jaded experiences that you've seen um, observing maybe what mom has gone through and things of that nature. And so when I was in that work, in the hospital system, seeing patients just be locked up, throwing medications one after another, just because nothing's working. And it really changed my excitement and enthusiasm. At first, I was jaded. I was upset. What are we doing? This doesn't. This is not what I signed up for, to see someone come in and, oh, well, their depression's still there. Yeah just out of fifth medication and now we're we're really treating as side effects of medications this really kind of alluded to i think where we were in western medicine and trying to apply that to mental health and mental health is so different than scientific medicine you're healing the heart you take a vital sign you take an image you send a probe you you know do all kinds of measures and metrics to understand that organ system with psychiatry what are we looking at Right. If we're studying the brain, we would be neurologists or neuroscientists, but we're trying to improve people's emotional state. We're trying to impact their spirit. And so in that way, I think the shift had uh, really been present to me that what we're doing right now isn't it. We got to figure out something different. And there were some holistic options, you know, even in that time in residency where we're looking at creative outlets to improve people's mental health, equine therapy, EMDR, traditional talk therapy, and various modalities. It wasn't until 2019 when Spravato came out. It was FDA approved. And you know, I had done some research in psychedelic medicine and understanding how it's reshifting and reframing uh, our neural pathways. But Spravato was FDA approved. Spravato was safe. It wasn't controversial. It came to market as an in-office treatment. And the first time I tried it with my patients, not knowing much about it, I saw something different. I saw our patients go through an experience that left them coming out, as Derek described, seeing life from a new perspective. And with that flexibility and that open-mindedness, it really taught me how we should be practicing mental health. Instead of saying, what is the disease state? What's the diagnosis? And then let's go down the algorithm and try to find a treatment for it. Instead, it brought... The understanding that mental health is more about just being open-minded and being flexible to new perspectives, being aligned with what's important to us and letting everything else fall through the cracks and all that clutter just sift away and creating that kind of moral compass to pursue those things that we know internally fill our cup, like Derek was saying, and that so much of, of society is focused on validation externally, looking good, feeling like we're doing the right thing, we're successful. And we're not talking about this as psychiatrists in residency. We're just talking about serotonin hypotheses. They're outdated and archaic. And so now when I teach, it's really all about creating this blank canvas to then paint the picture the way you want, program your subconscious the way you want, build awareness, self-explore, allow yourself to really step into who you're becoming with an objective nature that's not stuck and rooted in emotion and trauma and fear-based thinking. 
this shift really came present through the tool that was given to us with ketamine and S-ketamine. So that was the excitement that brought me into this industry. And now it's been probably my most often used tool when we're trying to help patients. So someone's listening. Let's say they've never, they don't know what ketamine is or spravato. Um, They hear horse tranquilizer. I know it as horse tranquilizer because in my teenage years from my past, I, I was a raver. And so I loved my ketamine back then. But can you explain what it is today and the difference between with coming to a doctor and a better you and doing those treatments versus, you know, what I'm used to, I, you know, 25 years ago would experience with it? Sure. Ketamine before was used predominantly as a dissociative anesthetic for operation. It was a good uh, alternative to what we had at the time, which was we were giving people PCP so that they could dissociate from their body. We we're tying them down and operating on them. This is the 50s. So then you know, opiates came about and different ways to practice anesthesia. So that's ketamine has been around, been on World Health, World Health Organization's essential medicine list for decades and decades. And the 70s psychiatrists started to experiment with it because they saw that in the Vietnam War, those who were given ketamine for a procedure had much less trauma response afterwards. And so the psychiatrists of the 70s, very young in their approach for really trying to do that deep dive to understand the subconscious. But then the war on drugs and everything that ensued, kind of, you know, the, the emphasis on, on healing modalities around these drugs were overshadowed by the dangers of them. It wasn't until 2019. Now, FDA approval came out for depression. And we're seeing now a psychedelic medicine rebranded as a fast-acting antidepressant at a much lower dose than we're using before in anesthesia and operations. We're allowing people to come into the office for an hour or two and have this experience where they're objectively seeing themselves from an outside perspective. By doing that, now we can accelerate therapeutic work. We can lubricate the mind. It's like warming up the clay of the brain so that we can shape it the way we want it to be. And today it's used very, very prominently in the mental health and psychiatric community, whether in an IV form, injection, nasal spray, lozenge, sublingually. The method of administration is vast and the application is so brand new that we're all trying to add healing modalities alongside it. I think that's what's special about Better You is that wraparound integrative care to understand that it's not just take a pill and forget about your problem. It's actually create the autonomy to heal yourself and to find your own solutions, become your own therapist. This is what ketamine therapy is doing for our mental health community right now. So, okay, what are what is your opinion, Dr. Zand, on chemical imbalance and say someone, so schizophrenia and depression has skipped a generation. Like I'm here. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't had situational depression or some days I'm feeling down, you know, as a teenager, I attempted suicide because my mom was in and out of hospitals and it was just, it was a crazy time in the nineties when no one was talking about it. And I self-medicated with a lot of uh, drugs, but you know, what is, what is, the correlation. I'm just asking these questions for an open conversation of, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you did so many drugs as a teenager, the chemical imbalance, but then you didn't get schizophrenia, like my mother, grandfather, and generations behind, you know, before. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I have a very strong opinion on that. So let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that in this disease state model in Western medicine, we're doing the wrong thing. 
And outside of severe schizophrenia, severe bipolar mania, things where we really understand there is some chemical influence that seems to be upstream, it's not just the downstream presentation. What we're learning and what I hope that we can debunk and put away with is this whole mental health is about treating chemical imbalance. It's not. I want the public to change that mentality because really, if there is a chemical imbalance, if someone's been depressed for years and years and years, okay, yeah, maybe there's some neurochemistry that changes over time, but that wasn't the origin of what happened. It was the result. And so if we're only treating the chemical imbalance, we're putting a Band-Aid on the dam, right? Just trying to hide the cracks. We may have some neurochemical imbalance in our days, but it's because of repressed trauma. It's because of maladaptive coping mechanisms over time that were misguided and not improved upon. It's because of the overeating, the numbing ourselves, the mindless content that we subject ourselves to, the excessive pornography, the excessive toxicity that we're just exposed to in the society that habituates over time, passive aggressive, dependent, and you know, enabling relationship patterns. We're not treating a chemical dependence. We're, we're treating repressed emotions. We're treating a whole entity of a person physically, emotionally, environmentally, and spiritually. And so by doing that, I think we need to reshift the narrative. It's no longer what pill is going to help restore my homeostasis of my chemicals. It's what routine. It's how do I improve my sleep, my activity, my nutrition? How do I improve the way I converse with others? How do I improve the way I talk to myself? because we are the internal pharmacy that creates the chemical imbalance. So if we can take ownership of that, and I I don't want to get to the point where we're shaming people to just, oh, be tough. No, that's not it either. Because learning it, the rigidity of the mind actually becomes disrupted in a way that's hardware that that needs to be addressed. That's where I think ketamine comes in. We're not saying let's add a little bit of this chemical or take away a little bit of this chemical. We're saying let's create a healthier brain so that when we do the work, it's easier to do. You would never update software on a 1980s computer and expect it to perform in 2023. But if you can update the hardware, then you can update the software. And that's really what we're after in improving brain health with tools like ketamine therapy. So moving away from this chemical imbalance and towards I create the chemicals that I want. We have this internal pharmacy and taking um, kind of autonomy and agency in that I think is, is the future of mental health. I do believe that we are in charge of, you know, our mind. Uh, and so I do, I work out, I meditate, I do all of this. So Derek, in your practice doing mixing ketamine, do you have other, you know, wellness practices that you bring with that? And what is like your therapy sessions and talk therapy or have you done EMDR? I've done an EMDR and that like was really good for me. But like, what is like the whole recipe of what you need to do to take care of your mental health and in your perspective? That's an excellent question and something that we battle with almost daily, especially especially in the pandemic, because most patients are used to that model, like, like Dr. Zan said, of like, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, take this pill, you know, the, the medical system set up is take this pill and you'll, you'll get better. And uh, I like where we're always you know, having to explain to patients. And the reason that we created so much programming around the medicine is understanding that this medicine is a catalyst for us to heal. It's a catalyst to give us more motivation. It's a catalyst to change the way that we think. But if we're going to just take the medicine and not take action towards making those changes, probably not going to, probably not going to succeed. Like during the pandemic, we'd have patients that would say, I had the best week of my life. 
you know, I had the best day of my life due to this, this type of this treatment. And I say, okay, great. Well, when's the last time that you got outside? Like, well, it's the pandemic. I haven't been outside in three weeks. How's your, how's your nutrition? Ah, I weigh 400 pounds, you know? And, and they were like, great. I'm really happy that you're having a big week, but this isn't sustainable. And I look at my own happiness and how we've you know, turned this into the programs that, that, we, that we have is it's as a, as a recipe, right? You need certain basic things in order to give yourself the best chance to, to thrive and, and to be happy. So that's try to sweat every single day. It's sunshine every single day and breath work. I think breath work in conjunction with ketamine therapy is, is a game changer and it really allows us to, you know, ketamine is great for resetting that neurological. And I think the breath work can help us really reset physiologically uh, prior to going into sessions. And you want to go into your therapy sessions or your treatment sessions uh, relaxed and, and present. And a lot of people, including myself, when you're struggling with, with depression or anxiety, it's, uh, it's, it's like you feel like there's a need to do a session at certain times, but, but not in the right headspace. So breath work really amplifies that and using that as part of a a daily practice, but yeah, nutrition, like what you said earlier, and I love with uh, with your podcast. Like, I want to add it into uh, content for patients after after sessions because we have. There's a lot of when, when you, we reset your brain to become more malleable and more receptive to, to information. A big part of uh, our our system is making sure that people aren't contacting friends or relatives or communicating with them that. That maybe don't fill their cup or, or bring more negativity or toxicity into their life and that they're not watching a scary movie or reality television or sitting on social media because you don't want to you know you don't want to imprint that stuff into, into your brain so afterwards uh, and I, I looked at the one that you did recently with the um the rewrite your inner your inner story and, and shifting your self-talk a big big thing that we do is is uh, like a lot of people can feel silly uh, doing positive affirmations when you first start doing it, right? But when you uh, combine that with ketamine therapy and, and you start to, you commit to it, you know, five days in, 10 days in, 15 days in, and really notice the way that, that you feel and the way that how your energy levels change and how uh, your your perception of, of self changes. So I think this is a catalyst to to inspire us to to do better and, and to improve. Like if you tell somebody that is struggling with clinical depression, Get out and exercise. It's going to help your depression. Like, yeah, you know, that's that's uh, probably not going to do it, right? So, so we wait till a couple of weeks in, till they're into a couple of weeks into the program, when uh, they they do have this this spark of motivation or this this real feel like it gives people the the wings or the ability to kind of lift them out of this dark hole, and and now implementing these things. And then there are a lot of people that, that come to us like I came through this program because. I was struggling with with depression, but I didn't realize like my relationship with alcohol or smoking or the stress I was bringing into my my kids or my my family, and and it's changed all of this for me. And that was never my intention coming into this. So when you can help them get a perspective on maybe the habits and things in their life that are detrimental to them, but for example, like alcohol is a big one. A lot of people come to us and say, "I, I quit drinking because of this." And I realized my entire life that alcohol never really served me and or every bad situation I've been in in my life was alcohol related. But I always feel like because I'm socializing or because I'm going to an event or a game or whatever it is, and alcohol is involved. So being able to not only cut out the things that aren't serving you, 
but then also like the same people that would never uh, be receptive to say, Hey, let's, let's do a beginner's yoga class. And, and they'd be like, yeah, not, not doing that. And it really opens them up to do other things like breath work, meditation, yoga. And I think these are all essential things that can really, and they're not for everyone, right? You kind of pick and choose what, what works for you, but giving people the tools to, to, to have the best chance to succeed. Yeah. And again, I always say that making a big change in your life and being able to be happier and live in more joy is a lot more work than just staying in that depressive state. There's so much work that goes into it. You're listing. It's not just like you go get a ketamine treatment and you're cured. Like there's all the modalities and everything that you have to do to, it's it's a recipe. It's a whole list of things combined. So Dr. Zand, have you done the treatment? Oh yeah. I'm very transparent with this because again, we're trying to reframe the way that we approach mental health. I think we all have a mental health journey and it's gone as a day where it's you come because you feel like you're sick or there's something wrong with you or you have an illness. I think we're approaching mental health the same way we really approach preventative health. You don't have to go to a doctor because there's something wrong or you broke a bone. You're going to a doctor to check your health and track it over time and check in with yourself. So for me, I like to do these sessions to just disconnect from everything else that's going on, focus inward, realign, um, you know, what's, what's maybe out of balance, what, what needs more harmony in my life. And by doing so, I think I'm able to be there for the people around me, for my patients in a much healthier way. Um, the treatments for me, maybe once a month, once every two weeks, it's helped me work through some anxious thought patterns. It's helped me not only work through things, but build motivation, build intention, build the internal fortitude to you know work on things that, that are going to be empowering for me and for others. And so I think we're taking the focus away from fixing what's wrong with us to enhancing what's right with us. And that's not talked about in mental health. If you come to see me as a doctor, I can't bill your insurance for helping maximize your strengths. I have to pick an illness and treat it to bill your insurance, which is so unfortunate. Okay. Two questions. One, when you were, Derek, you were speaking about alcohol, and then you talk about doing ketamine. Is there is ketamine through your experience and your research healthier on the organs than alcohol? Point, point blank, alcohol is one of the most unhealthy things for the entire body. I mean, not just one organ system like the liver, but chronic dehydration, pressure then on the kidney, pressure on the heart. Um, brain atrophy. We see liver cirrhosis. Yeah, liver is obvious inflammation in all parts of the brain. We're starting to see people bring awareness to um, anti-inflammatory measures that are helping when really alcohol is the cause of the inflammation. And so inflammation causes skin issues, bone issues. Um, and again, that mental and emotional fog and lability. So ketamine, if done as a recreational drug, illicitly, if abused, has problems as well, right? It can increase blood pressure. It can affect the liver. It can affect the bladder. It can go up and affect the kidney. But when done once a week or twice a week, this is the difference. You look at any medication that we give out traditionally in psychiatry, it's an everyday med, sometimes two or three times a day. Now we're saying change that approach. We're just doing this once a week. You don't need to continue to put this in your body. This becomes a tool to enhance the work, not to adjust your neurochemistry on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Yeah, you mentioned um, a few of those side effects from doing it recreationally. And so I know I was reading an article two days ago from the New York Times about the FDA putting out a warning over misuse of ketamine through telemedicine prescriptions. What is your thought on that? Yeah, I think we both have some thoughts. I'll go first. So one is the non-FDA kind of approved treatment option is something we're very used to in psychiatry. If we treat PTSD, there's only a few medications that are on-label FDA approved for PTSD, but we use about 20 or 30 that are off-label. And so I think the warning is that people need to know that this is not FDA approved. There's no clinical trials for compound generic ketamine. However, it's so closely related to the analog of S-ketamine, and there's decades of evidence that we've used this and it's helped people. We need to allow clinician and patient to work together amidst some valid concerns and make sure this is a healthy option. We can't just willy-nilly give this to everybody. And even if it was FDA approved, we couldn't give it willy-nilly to everybody, right? These are the measures that I think clinicians have to take. I think it also just reminds everyone that sometimes you can go somewhere and you can get a medical treatment with someone that doesn't care, with someone with a team that doesn't have wraparound support. And so the importance of our program and, and many others who are doing this work the right way is that I think you have a competent and compassionate clinician who's doing a thorough medical review, doing a thorough psychiatric review, really getting to know the individual and not just boxing them into a diagnosis or a cluster of symptoms, and then coaching them, guiding them, teaching them how to use the tool, cautioning them about all the side effects and safety um, concerns, and then giving them actual tools to mitigate that. We give everybody a blood pressure monitor to make sure, even if they tell us and they look young and healthy, you know, we want to see that blood pressure screening because this is telemedicine. We can't actually put our hands on you and, and detect the vitals. We ask them to do it for us. We create measures of safety, like having a peer support, someone there for you. We make sure that everybody checks in before, checks in after, has the opportunity to have integration and supportive therapy throughout the process. The ability to call us, text us. I know some people in this space don't have a phone number for their patients to reach out. And you're kind of left in the system where what if there's something urgent and they get back to you in a couple of days? That may not be quick enough. So having all these safety measures is, I think, the important part of what came out of that, um, that warning. We can also get into the economics of what motivated that warning, but maybe we'll leave that off this podcast. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm open to anything. <laughs> 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 yeah, the uh, you know I'll I'll try to uh, say as little as I can about the economic side without uh, putting a target on our back. But the the if you look at you know, the, the data of, of ketamine helping and 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 and, and the research from the top universities in, in the world uh, over the last twenty years and its improvements on mental health, and also it's a, it's a generic right, so you can't there isn't an incentive for doctors to prescribe or there isn't an incentive for pharmaceutical companies because it's not going to be billed at a hundred X of what it costs to make it because it's, it's a generic, it's readily accessible, readily available. And it's been used in, you know, pain clinics, the first anesthesia everywhere and then pain clinics. And then more recently for, for mental health issues and mental health challenges. And there was never, there was never, uh, a negative light shine shined on it, and then the there's never a negative light shined on it as far as the FDA a- approval piece because 
S-ketamine is you know, prescribed on label, which is if you look at the ketamine molecule, it's like the S-ketamine and R-ketamine. So it's like the left hand and right hand. So S-ketamine is like just pulling away one of the hands. So you have half the molecule, still effective. And there's uh, now a company that I think is in phase two trials that's getting the same designation and patent for just R-ketamine without the S-ketamine for, for depression, and and which obviously is going to be another significant uh, revenue insurance you know, driver. So, so to me, it's all about what I've, from my understanding of it, it's all about the money. And when a generic drug can uh, is hurting the, the money that a, a, a labeled drug can, or a, a branded drug can make, then that's when the pushback really, really starts. And with the systems that are based around our, our care and the understanding, like I said in the beginning, when I went in for my first session, I got two minutes into my story. The doctor interrupted me, said something pretty crude. And the next question was, you know, have you ever done mushrooms or ketamine before? I said, no. So you ever done mushrooms before? Yeah, you'll be, you'll be fine. They come in, plug you in. Afterwards, there was no support integration, uh, a plan to move forward. It was, you know, what are you doing next week? You know, sign here. So uh, being thoughtful of the safety around it, like Sam said, the, the remote patient monitoring, the uh, dosage and frequency of, of, of not giving people uh, more than what the safety data out there shows, similarly to what's, what is FDA approved and what's been in a standard protocol for the last 20 or so years for these, these in-person clinics, and really sticking to that, that safety and support system, which, which I think is the most critical part to give people you know, not only uh, better outcomes and the actual treatment itself, but better outcomes long-term. Yeah. So what is the program for Better You? Like, what if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, I'm interested, I'm on the fence, I don't know, I'm still not unsure about this. Like, what is your program for, what makes you stand out? So the Better You program, it starts with, you have a free consultation with uh, one of our nurses or, or onboarding uh, welcome team, and they're very experienced with either a medical professional or somebody that's very experienced with, with the medicine. And they'll help you kind of assess if this treatment is right for you. So it's kind of our fil first filter of, of going through uh, what other medications are you on, contraindications. Like this isn't right for everybody. If you have a history of schizophrenia or you're currently in a manic state or history of psychosis, um, untreated hypertension, uh, there's a handful of things that are currently pregnant or breastfeeding. There's certain things that, that are contraindications. So they really help assess like, is this a viable option for treatment for you? Be uh, making sure that it's something that goes to the next step for the clinicians to determine that. So you have an initial free consult. After that, you select a package, and it's either done once a week or twice a week for about a month or two, depending on how how it's spread out. And that's really uh, the clinician will help determine that with with the patient as well. And then you jump on a virtual. This is all done virtually, and you have a virtual psychiatric consult. And again, they'll go through contraindications, um, what your goals are, and 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 help you find a personalized kind of plan to to move things forward with uh, with the treatments and how the treatments work after you receive the medications. They walk you through the, the whole process and the app and the portal and all of that. Once you receive the medication, you get a brain box in the mail. The brain box consists of, like Dr. Zan said, it's a blood pressure cuff, which syncs up to the app. Uh, there's a journal for, for reflection. 
uh, these little heart diffraction glasses that uh, patients absolutely love and they put on to remind them that love is all around them when they're having a tough day. Uh, gratitude sticky notes, a handful of things that go into go into the session, a meditation mask. And after you receive this in the box with the medication, you jump back on with one of our treatment prep coaches and then they help you. You go on for about 20 minutes and they help you make sure that you've understood all the videos, all the, all the uh, protocols. And we also require having a uh, peer support person. So a peer support is somebody that's just there in the other room, really for, for mental support. And if you have to get up and use the restroom afterwards for them to come in and check in on you and, and help you up to the restroom, we've fortunately had, had uh, less than a handful of adverse reactions out of thousands of patients. So the peer support is really there more for, for mental support. Uh, and then after you, yeah, so you go through your treatment preparation, you do your first session. We start at a very light dose, which is more of a medication enhanced meditation and then we slowly acclimate from there to help you adopt, uh, help your body adapt to the experience and also helping you, your mind, like understanding that while that immediate session at a low dose may not be that profound, you're still getting the neurobiological benefits. So that means the days or the weeks after these sessions, you'll be driving or walking or doing something. And that's when a lot of the clarity or the aha moments or epiphanies kind of kind of arise so we start start low and then work our way up to find that more of a deeper therapeutic dose and throughout that process when you once you get through the dose acclimation then you jump back on with one of our integration therapists and those are different yeah coaches therapists different people all different kinds of people on, on that team and then they help you not only unpack the experience and kind of process what arose for you but then helping you with with goal setting accountability coaching and helping you get a plan moving forward. And in our programs, there's all kinds of different you know, eight, 10, 12 week options for uh, moving through sexual trauma uh, or healing from sexual trauma, uh, moving through grief and processing grief and loss of a loved one. Uh, Sam, you want to touch on the heal, grow, love, transcend kind of baseline programming? Yeah. yeah and, and again, with ketamine as an accelerant, we really want to tap into the phases of being there for, your, for yourself. And the first thing we have to focus on is healing. If we are tense and fight or flight, if we have tox toxins in our body or in our environment, if we don't give ourselves permission to feel better, we have to work through that healing. And so we have relaxation techniques and somatic healing and you know therapeutic tools to help us through that. And once you have found a little bit of healing and you're ready for the next step, that's self-growth. That's really kind of traditional methods, you know, where life coaches can come in and do self-help, where therapists can come in and do cognitive behavioral therapy, whatever it might be to focus on your own self-growth, be of the growth mindset. And then we get to self-love because diving into relationships, our relationship with ourself, our upbringing, our intimate relationships, friendships, family, work colleagues, this is the crux of how we feel. It's who we are interacting with. Maybe we're isolating. And so the relationship with the world begins with our relationship with self. And this is where we do some psychodynamic kind of interpersonal therapy. We do some shadow work and some inner child work to really start to understand the stories that we have about ourselves, the way we structure. After we've gone through all these phases of healing, growth, and self-love, then it's time to release the focus on the self and put our focus on something bigger than self is that step of self-transcendence where we really tap into the spiritual side of this medicine. And this can be a little bit taboo or uncomfortable for people at first because of their life journey and their experience with 
either religion or religious conflict or, you know, loss, trauma, grief. Why did this happen? If, if the world's supposed to be this great place, why do all these terrible things happen? You just have to turn on the news. But to be able to overcome that and connect with altruism, connect with community, connect with nature, see that there is a higher source that can focus our minds off of our day-to-day problems and onto something more empowering. This is the curriculum that we offer that we hope is just kind of the new adopted mental health model rather than saying, hey, what's wrong with you? Let's fix it. Right. Here, take a Xanax. Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear. It's not a quick fix. There are, like we've said earlier, there's the whole recipe. You have to stick with it. And I have two friends who have gone through a lot of grief and trauma recently and a lot of panic attacks and this. And one friend only went to one ketamine treatment in L.A., one time, but then didn't get therapy after. And he's like in a really dark place. And then another friend who lost um, a fiance, a mother, and a brother within two years, three years to cancer, uh, did ketamine twice, but he's still in a very dark place. And any advice to keep people motivated? We're definitely worried about this one friend who is isolating now. And any advice to anyone out there who maybe doesn't have that strength or believe that treatments for mental health will work and just knowing like how hard it is, the work is so hard, but what is the, what does it look like on the other side? Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your friend. I I do think that the optimistic uh, perspective there is he's engaged in treatment, right? He's trying something. Sometimes, especially if we've dealt been dealt the hand of so many overwhelming stressors and traumas, it really, you know, gets us to our breaking point, right? We mentally shut down. We either become in this enraged kind of state of anger, or we pull back, we get withdrawn and isolative, we numb ourselves. I think the encouragement is to keep doing the work. For many people, I've seen one or two treatments turn it around. Derek spoke about his experience. It's not the case for everybody. And really, life is so uniquely different for everyone. So to continue to go through it and recognize that sometimes it takes two or three months of this treatment, and it takes time. He's in a dark place, and he's had a lot of loss in his life. Who's to say he shouldn't be in a dark place, right? Mortality and grieving is important. And I think we tend to run away from our emotions rather than to be present to them, to nourish them, to understand what they're teaching us about life, and then to also coexist with a different feeling. I think in grief, one thing that we all have gone through is I don't want to be happy yet, right? And and giving ourselves permission to heal, to be happy while we're still sad, while we're still grieving, I think understanding the self as a composite of parts really seeing that this one perspective we've had in our whole life is so limited. And if we can open up those perspectives and see that we show up in life in so many different ways, and part of life isn't just us, it's the way we connect with others, the way the universe connects with us. If you get into quantum physics and quantum entanglement, we're just all protons, neutrons, and electrons floating around. You know, for some reason, we call this life. And I think going through the human experience uniformly for all of us, we're supposed to have dark moments and not run away from that shadow embrace it, understand it, integrate it into our life in a healthy way rather than try to build fortresses around it. And so I, I hope your friend keeps up the just the journey of being present and healing and trying 
um, and, and adds a layer of optimism, that upward turn, that ability to still find fulfillment in life amidst the tragedy. I think this is what you know, mental health is about. It's, it's not about just coming in and taking a treatment and everything's going to be better. It's working through stuff. Yeah, it's working through in it. I mean, Derek, how are you today? Um, how are you feeling? Do you have your ups, downs? Are you still doing treatments? Um, what does your mental health journey look like today? So I want to touch on real quick on, on, on the last question uh, that you said about your, again, sorry about your friend. So dealing with you know, patients every every single day and connecting with, with people's problems, the biggest thing is that especially when we're going through the darkest times of our life and it seems like we're never going to get out, it's, we feel so isolated and alone, right? Nobody understands us. Nobody's ever been through this. Nobody's ever going to feel this again. Like it's it's a very, very dark and challenging time. And like Sam said, that's that's okay sometimes, right? It's it's, it's not, uh, and it doesn't have to be labeled as, as clinical depression, right? It's like you're going through it. You're going through something really tough and really hard. It's okay to to be sad. It's okay to work through it. And when it gets to a point where, like, and I, I want to share uh, two two patients that that uh, were were early on with us that that uh, really uh, their 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 story kind of touched me and, and helped me get perspective on on, on my own journey was uh, there's a, a lady that's like in her late late 60s maybe early 70s and and she said like most people when they come to the, our program this isn't going to work for me nothing's ever worked for me this is you know I, I don't know why i'm even here i'm wasting my time and it's been on 20 plus years of antidepressants and ssris and said that she could hug her grandchild and she she feels nothing she looks at her husband and she feels nothing and she's like what, what's wrong with me and she's like, I could see somebody get hit by a car tomorrow and I would feel nothing. And she's like, there's something really, really wrong with. So we did, you know, we got to session four. And that's typically when, even when they've, they've got a, a lot going on, they can start to see like, okay, we're making, we're really making some headway. Session five, session six. At that point, she's like, why am I doing this? I'm wasting your time. I'm wasting my time. And it wasn't those session seven where she jumped back on with me and she was just crying and laughing. And she said that she watched this comedy show with her son last night and was laughing. And she was crying, you know, the, the night before about something else and was just so happy to be feeling again because she'd spent the last 20 plus years you know, taking something that was blocking her off or disconnecting her. Right. So, so. While I was very fortunate that that, that that one session took me from suicidal back to being a human being, a lot of people, and it's like they're obviously situational, it's their medic medication history, and and the support system that's based, you know, that's around the program, right? A lot of people, it's going to take four, five, six, seven, eight sessions to to really achieve what somebody may, you know, others may achieve in one or two sessions. And another person told uh, similar situation with a gentleman in, in florida was late 50s early 60s and said that he felt like he'd been living for so long for 15 plus years and and black and white and and since he started treatments with us he feels like the world is in color again like he stepped into wizard of oz and and completely shifted his his perspective on on the world so when you're the biggest thing is that when we're going through something like we tend to like our, our walls go up and and we feel like we're in this these holes that it's really really difficult to get out of and and other people like connecting with other people and understanding other people especially if you're the center of it 
then it's just sympathy. You know, get sympathy showers from everyone. And then you're like, I don't now I just, I don't want to talk to anybody because I don't want to hear anybody saying how sorry they are for my loss or my situation. Right. So you kind of isolate yourself and so your your friends your friends that are really going through it, I would highly recommend continuing on on a program and giving it, you know, another shot and working that in conjunction with with uh, consistent care and, and follow up. My own personal journey has fallen back into probably some of the uh, the habits that, that that led to emotional breakdown or mental breakdown years ago. But I couldn't be happier with my life, with the, the team around us, and and with what we've built. And every day, seeing the, the text messages and and the, the emails and the calls from patients saying like. I had attempted suicide, you know, a year ago, and now doing these sessions. I thought today was, you know, today was my one-year anniversary, and I thought it was going to be really hard for me. But really, I look back in that person, and I kind of just laugh because I don't even recognize who that person was a year ago. And and so, so seeing the stories and not feeling alone, and being able to connect with people because I feel like it's our pain that that connects us, right? And then it's our compassion and our love that builds us back up and brings us brings us back to life. But everybody, everybody has trauma. Everybody has pain, and it's just it's doing the work, right? Everything's going to come back, and, and everything can come back in cycles. And and but if you are disciplined to give yourself that daily, you know, those, those daily affirmations and and breath work as much as you can, sweat, you know, at least three to five days a week, you're gonna you're gonna be in a much better place. And if you're doing all those things, like I still do ketamine therapy, like once every probably once every two weeks. And it's great. Like I look forward to it. For me, it's it's a, it's a ritual uh, where I'm like just melting away the, the the stress and and all of the things that kind of built up over a couple of weeks. And it's not consistent. It's like when I feel like it's it's necessary. And I'm like, you know what? This is a good time to decompress. And and I wish that we could prescribe it for for spiritual exploration or for problem solving, because a lot of times when I get into a rut. From trying to figure something out, whether it's uh, with relationships or friends or business or whatever, I can do a session and it'll allow me to step away from how I'm looking at the situation and really look at it and, and reflect in, in different, different, more positive ways. I think that every problem or every challenge in life can be changed or solved with a different perspective. So it allows, it permits for that. I love that. I've enjoyed this conversation. I think I'm understanding the whole ketamine treatment more. Um, so what's next for Better You? Yeah, so we touched on uh, briefly in the beginning was where we started, which was just, just ketamine therapy for depression and anxiety and and giving being able to build over the years the best support system and programming around that. And now expanding into other services, right? With regenerative medicine, sexual health, uh, NAD. So how do we get our bodies physically uh, you know, as optimized as we can? And then a, we're, we're implementing an AI nutrition coach, which we're excited about that. So you can plug in your, your age, your, your, your weight, your dietary kind of restrictions, and, and it'll help you put together all of your, your meal planning, your meal prep and coaching, and uh, expanding into talk therapy services. So all kinds of different things. The uh, we're in the midst of opening up our LA kind of healing center and pod because a lot of people there's, there's differences between like the in-person treatments and, and and doing it at home. And even if you have the at-home treatment and you're like, you know what, my house isn't conducive to healing, and right? I have 
kids running around. I have pets that are jumping on me. I have significant other or roommates or family. And it just doesn't seem like the conducive space to healing. So creating these safe containers that are going to be around, you know, around the country primarily and in, in, in the metropolitan areas of, of where people can either do this treatment at home or come, come do it in an office. So that's uh, continuing to grow and expand and help people in more ways than just ketamine therapy. MDMA therapy is right around the corner and really excited to be able to treat uh, PTSD in particular with that. And then looking to the future, Ibogaine for uh, opiate addiction, which is incredibly effective yet illegal in the United States. An analog of LSD for Alzheimer's and dementia is, I think, in phase three clinical trials right now. So that's, uh, yeah, just it's a very, very exciting, uh, exciting place to, to be in. And while, while we have these new service lines and wait for these FDA approvals of similar medications that come out in the psychedelic industry, I think really what we're after also is just continuing to educate about and reform our understanding of mental health and evolving past this idea of mental illness and arriving to a destination of mental wellness. I think we need to show up for ourselves from a place of highlighting our strengths, highlighting our virtues, understanding the shadow, understanding our weaknesses, loving on them, right, nourishing them instead of shaming them. And really just reframing the narrative of what it means to feel emotionally, mentally sound. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Zand and Derek. I appreciate this conversation. And once all those other psychedelics get passed, I'll have another conversation with you because I have so many questions on that too. <laughs> so yeah, so in LA, we'll put all of the info where to find you, your website, and all the info in the show notes. And I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much, Karina. Yeah, thank you for having us. And thank you for the example that you set, the healing out loud and being transparent with what we're going through so that we can all feel connected and decrease the stigma around these topics. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you and I will see you next Wednesday.